Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Okay, let's turn to Mark chapter 4. And we come to this next parable of the Lord Jesus Christ, the parable of the growing seed, as it's labeled uh, in my Bible. The parable of the growing seed. Just a few verses, just a short passage. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So here's another parable that has to do with farming, scattering seed. We just had that parable of the sower, the first one that Jesus says is a key to understanding his other parables. And I think probably because he gives us an interpretation of it, so it gives us a clue as to how we're to interpret the parables. Clearly, this was a farming culture that Jesus would use. And the third parable we'll come to, again, is about a mustard seed. So Jesus is talking a lot about seeds and planting and and so on. And he has a point in it. Let's just compare for a moment the parable of the sower and this one. Because they're very different, actually. So in the parable of the sower, we learned the importance of our responsibility in receiving the Word of God. Because that has to do with four different soils that represent how we respond to the Word of God. And by the way, I'd like to mention something that Jim brought up with me after that sermon. Don't think that because perhaps you were the soil that represents uh, the... The weeds, for example, and the weeds being the cares of this world, that it stifles the growth of the plant. Because I think we, all of us, may see ourselves at some point in time as being like that when we heard the Word of God. It doesn't mean that we have to remain that kind of soil. So if you saw yourself in a certain one of those soils, that doesn't mean you're locked into that for the rest of your life. No, by by God's grace, He takes us out of one of those bad soils, and he can make us good soil. That's what happens when you become a Christian. That's the great change that occurs when we're transformed. And now we desire to hear the Word. We're ready to hear the Word of God when we come to church on Sunday and so on. So there's, don't, uh, I don't want you to be discouraged by anything that may have come across like, well, no, no for me because I just think I'm hardened or I got a lot of weeds in my life, or I'm a shallow listener, or whatever. No, don't think like that. There's hope for all of us. 
to become good soil. But anyhow, so that parable of Jesus emphasizes our responsibility when we hear the word, what we can do to help our reception of the word or what we can do to hinder it. Both are there. Now this one, however, is different because it's telling us something about the fact that the farmer can't really cause this seed to grow. It just happens. So Jesus is talking about something mysterious and secret and hidden that goes on that causes the seed to grow. And the farmer, he doesn't know how it happens and he doesn't really have any control over it. So it's bringing out God's part, God's work behind the scenes in bringing about fruit. Now, with that said, I want you to notice, first of all, in the very first verse, that this parable has to do with the kingdom of God. We don't want to miss that. Because there's a point to these stories. He's illustrating, the Lord Jesus is illustrating something that is true about the kingdom. Now, we've talked about the kingdom in the past, and this is a huge subject in the Bible, and it's a very difficult subject to get. I've been a believer many years, and this has always been one of those subjects that you wrestle with and you try to get more understanding of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom, because there's many dimensions to it, many aspects. There's a sense in which the kingdom is external. You can see it expressed in the local church right here. This is an expression of the kingdom of God this morning. But Jesus also said the kingdom is within you. It's in your heart. God's reign, God's rule, because that's what the kingdom means. It doesn't mean a kingdom that is in heaven, but a kingdom that has come from heaven. That's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came into the world, he came to bring the kingdom of God. So the kingdom is here. There is a present reality to it, and there is a future reality to it. So there's two two aspects to it, the already and the not yet, as theologians like to say it, in order to bring that out, that there's two phases to the kingdom of God. We have not seen the final phase of that kingdom. It is yet to come at the great consummation. So Jesus is teaching on the kingdom. He's giving us... And just right off, he's showing us about the secret growth of the kingdom, isn't it? This is generally what we can take right out of this parable. That it grows secretly. We can't see the growth of the kingdom. It's like a seed that a farmer plants. And he gets up and he goes to bed and he goes about his daily routine So this is illustrating something about the kingdom of God. Notice a man again scatters the seed. Now the word for man there in verse 26 is not the word that means a male. This is anthropos. There's two words in the New Testament that are translated man. One is generic man, meaning a human being. could be male or female. There have been many women who have scattered the seed in the world as missionaries that God has used. 
Somebody has to scatter the seed. Again, that brings out the human agency in the growth of the kingdom of God. But that's not the focus of the parable. Now, notice in verse 27 and the first part of verse 28 that the growth of the seed, and I'm trying to sum up what I believe is in these these, uh, one and a half verses of, of our text, that it has to do with the growth of the seed occurring independently of the sower. Now, the parable of the sower, it's all about the man who scatters the seed, and the emphasis is upon the one who is sowing the seed as well as those who hear it. So, somebody has to sow the seed, but what Jesus brings out in these verses is that the growth of that seed occurs independently of the farmer. Now, notice how he says this. Very interesting. So the the person who scatters the seed, he sleeps and he rises night and day. So those are that's the daily routine of everybody. Nothing unusual here. In other, in other words, it's business as usual. He's just going about his day in and day out routine in life. So the farmer scatters the seed, he gets up, he goes to bed. And notice uh, the Jewish uh, timetable here, how they measure a day is in our Lord's teaching. He says night and day. Did you catch that? Not day and night. We think of day and night as a day, but that's not how the Jewish people thought of it. They thought of it as night. A day begins at sundown. That's how a Jewish day was measured. So at sundown was the beginning of the new day through the next day at sunrise. Half a day. Sundown to sundown would be a full full 24-hour day, but it's night and day. Remember, that's even in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. This is probably where they take it. How did God measure the days of creation? Six times, Genesis 1 says, and it was evening and morning the first day. Evening and morning. Not morning and evening. (laughs) Evening and morning. So this is the teaching of Jesus. So the the life of the farmer is as usual. He doesn't have any anxiety about the seed. He's not worried about that seed that he's planted. Because he knows what it's going to do. He has complete confidence in the potential of a seed to grow. And he knows the course of it. He knows how it's going to, what he can expect. But Jesus said he doesn't know how it happens. So he sows his seed. The seed sprouts and grows. The process of germination and growth that takes place underground, apart from the farmer. That's important to know that he, this just happens after he scatters the seed. And he knows not how it happens. 
I believe they still don't know how it happens. It's still a mystery. You can take a seed into a laboratory and cut it open, look at it under a microscope and so on. You're probably not going to be able to define precisely what happens in that seed to cause it to grow. It's a mystery. Would you agree with that, Steve? That's a mystery? This is our expert on plant life. Yeah. So the farmer plants, but he doesn't know how it happens. He can't, he can't explain it. He knows that he's not the cause. But Jesus says, notice how he puts this, the earth produces by itself. The word translated by itself is just one word in the original, and it's the word that we would take our word automatic from. It's automatos. Think of that. This word's only used two times in the New Testament. Here and in Acts chapter 12, when Peter was in prison, and he was miraculously delivered from prison because Herod had intended to kill him the next day, an angel came, freed Peter from prison, and text says in Acts 12 that the gate to the city opened up of its own accord. That's the same word again, translated of its own accord. It did it automatically. In other words, something happens, something occurs, but you can't see a visible cause for that thing occurring. That's the idea of this word. It happens automatically. It's something that Jesus described it like that. Well, how does it happen? Well, it's not the farmer doesn't cause it to happen. Plants grow without any help. Well, sure, there has to be planted in the ground. There needs to be water and sunshine and those things. But the actual germination of the seed occurs mysteriously. And who is the one who causes that to happen? Well, the Bible attributes seed germination and the growth of plant life to the God of the Bible. Psalm 104 and verse 14. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. That's just one text of several. So God is the cause of the germination of the seed and the growth of a plant. The farmer has to do his part, but he's not the cause. Now, thirdly, notice that the growth of the seed is gradual. The rest of verse 28. So after the earth produces by itself, then Jesus describes now, and this happens with every plant. First the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain. So I think it probably applies to corn or to wheat is what Jesus is describing there. So it's, it's a slow, gradual growth of the plant. So what does that tell you about the growth of the kingdom, first of all? If we think of the kingdom of God in the world, it's progressive, it grows slowly and so on. But now think of the kingdom within you. 
Let's focus on that because that's I, I want to apply it that way. The growth of the kingdom of God in the Christian is a gradual, slow process. Just keep that in your thoughts for a second. So it transitions, the, a plant normally transitions from one stage to the next. Uh, its growth can't be stifled under normal circumstances. It's going to continue. Now, this is true of the spiritual life of the Christian. This is how it is with us as well. That new life that is implanted in us by the Holy Spirit that occurs when we are regenerated, born again, given a new heart, all the different analogies that the Bible uses to explain this miraculous transformation that occurs in the life of a person that God moves in on by His grace and He saves, it's like a plant that grows. It begins with that seed. We receive the Word. We hear the Word. That seed is planted within us. And then it begins to grow like this. I'm thinking of a well-known book. It used to be to Christians of other past generations by Philip Doddridge. Just look at, listen to the title of his book, The Rise and Progress of Religion in the Soul. This This is what Jesus is describing. If we apply it to the kingdom within us, this is a slow, gradual process Remember, think of the different stages that the New Testament talks about when it comes to growing spiritually as a Christian. There's four that are mentioned in the New Testament. Four stages. Peter mentions those that are like newborn babes. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, Peter says, like a newborn infant, Long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God that you may grow thereby. So every new believer begins like a newborn infant. Now, if you've been a Christian for 20 years and you're still at that stage, then... You know, that's not what we, where we want to be. We want to make progress. You know, I think it was J. Vernon McGee that used to talk about Christians have been believers many years. They're still sucking their thumb, is how he put it. You know, that's not where we want to be. So there is the, the notice Peter says, the pure milk of the word. This is what a newborn baby wants. He wants milk. But the, Bible, the New Testament also speaks about strong meat and transitioning from drinking milk to eating stronger foods as a Christian. So your diet changes spiritually as you grow. So when you come to 1 John, and we'll be covering that in Sunday school, somebody will have chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, 
There's three other stages of Christian growth mentioned by John. He talks about little children. So Peter has newborn babes, so he starts right off with, soon after you're a Christ, you become a believer, you're like a baby. And then you progress to being a, a toddler, a little child. And then John talks about young men. And finally, fathers. And we could say mothers in there as well. And he brings that up to talk about what is, what are the features of those different ages of spiritual growth. You might check that out. That's a beautiful passage, 1 John 2, 12 to 14. So believers are at various stages of Christian growth. And the goal The goal is for us to grow up and become more mature. Listen to Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 4, for example. And I want to read this from the NLT. He says, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ." That's Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. Though it's an important thing for us to be growing and maturing as Christians. First the blade, then the ear, then the grain on the ear. So it's, yeah, this is a secret growth. This should be going on within each of us. And then Jesus has, in verse 29, the certainty of the harvest. Notice this. This is something that he says as well. The certainty of the harvest. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So the grain is going to, when it reaches maturity... That farmer's going to pull out his sickle. That's an instrument for cutting down. You know what those are. Nobody uses those anymore, but I'm sure you've seen a sickle. And this is how they harvest their, how they reaped. They didn't have the fancy equipment that farmers have today. It was all done by hand. And it's cut down and gathered up and so on. He puts in the sickle. Now what could Jesus be talking, what could this mean? In his parable, I got a couple ideas about this. First of all, I want us to think about what the church's responsibility is. So, we, what are we responsible for in this whole picture that Jesus is creating for us? Well, for our main work is to scatter seed, and we will, by God's grace, see some of that seed grow. 
And we also have a part in harvesting some of that grain. Jesus talked about the disciples entering into the labors of others in John chapter 4 when he said, you know, lift up your eyes, the harvest is white. And, and the disciples were given the privilege of harvesting where others had labored before them. And the harvest, the reaping part, is seeing people brought into the kingdom. People that have been worked on by the Holy Spirit, and they've been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel, and now they're brought into the church. And there's a harvest that goes on in that sense. Uh, Jesus refers to the, this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. He said, the, har the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Think of this. This was true in the first century. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Who's the Lord of the harvest? <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of the harvest. Pray to him for what? To send out laborers into the harvest. This is where the need is. For people to go out as his representatives into the world and work in his field. Jesus could also be referring to the final harvest here. The final harvest. There is a day coming, this is all in the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, that tells us about the judgment day several times, over and over again. It's repeated throughout the book of Revelation. It's just not in chapter 20, the judgment, the final judgment. It's in chapter 6. It's in chapter 14. Chapter 14's version of the judgment is the Son of Man is called upon by the angels. The angels tell him, the, the earth is ripe for harvest. And he puts forth his sickle to harvest the earth. Jesus himself used this of in Matthew 13 when he was talking about the final judgment. And the angels are sent forth to reap, to harvest. And Jesus interprets the harvest as, the, as taking place at the close of this age. So there is a final harvest, a day of judgment coming. Now what, what should we be doing in the meantime? Because the, har the final harvest is coming, approaching. Every day that goes by in this world, we are one day closer to the final harvest. This is how we have to think as Christians. What are, do we, what are we to be doing in the meantime? Well, like I just said about the church, scattering seed, reaping, bearing fruit ourselves, and also preparing to be harvested ourselves. You're going to be harvested someday by Jesus Christ. We need to prepare for that eventuality, to prepare to be harvested. Well, there's, there's a few things I'd like to close with. 
here about this passage. And this, this applies both to the parable of the sower as well as to our passage in front of us today about the sowing of the seed. We don't always see that seed growing like we'd like. We don't see the results. So there, it's very natural for us to think, oh, we've done something to fail or, you know, to get discouraged by it. But don't be discouraged by it. It's very natural. There was a pioneer missionary of the early 19th century that went to South Africa. Um, His name was Robert Moffat. He and Mary Moffat are well-known pioneer missionaries when things were very, very tough to be a missionary back in the early 1800s in Africa. Imagine what they encountered. But Robert Moffat compared his work, this is his analogy, he compared his work to a farmer laboring to transform the surface of a granite rock into soil suitable for growing crops. Sounds impossible, doesn't it? He realized the impossibility of his task, the difficulty of the task, and that he had to rely entirely on God to be working in the hearts and minds of those that he ministered to. So we just need to remember, so we don't get discouraged, that this work is unseen, accomplished by God, It's mysterious. It's going to produce fruit when God wants to. And that brings me to my second point, that the success of the gospel doesn't depend on us. The gospel has its own power, just like the seed does. There's something within every seed that has the potential for life. There's a certain force or power in that seed that God causes to come to life in his timing. The gospel is the power of God, so it doesn't need any help from us. We don't need to help the gospel. Paul said in Romans 1.16, his famous words, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Well, the gospel has its power inherent in the message and God will use it to bring about the result he intends when and how he pleases. This is why Paul said he, he and Apollo say one planted, the other watered. This is the ministry of Paul and a fellow missionary by the name of Apollos. But Paul said, yeah, we did everything we could do as farmers, using the analogy of farming, again, New Testament, planting, watering. But he said, but God gives the increase. He's very, Paul's very clear about who's responsible for the outcome. We do what we can, but the one who's going to cause the seed to grow And produce is God himself. That's 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. 
So there's nothing that can obstruct the progress of the gospel. This is why Paul says the word of God is not bound. Remember that in one of his epistles? Yeah, you can throw God's messengers in prison, try to silence them, cut their tongue out, as some had suffered early on in the persecution of the church, the first few centuries. But the word of God is not bound. You can't stop God's word from progressing in the earth and doing what he intends it to do. So the work, let's just remind ourselves that the work of God, again, in the lives of Christians, in our lives, uh, is a mysterious work. Nobody here can explain how the Word and the Spirit, because they go together, the Word of God and the Spirit of God together, the Word and the Spirit, God uses to bring us to spiritual life. This is an amazing thing. Jesus compared it to the wind in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus about being born again, and Nicodemus doesn't understand it, what he's talking about. And he tells Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it? You cannot tell where it came from or where it's going. But you feel the effects of it. You can hear the the wind. You can feel the wind. It's very real, even though you can't see it. It produces a very real result, even though you can't control it. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So the, the, this work of bringing a person to spiritual life, it's powerful, it's unseen, we can't control it, it's transformative, and it lasts. It lasts. What do I mean by that? The the change that occurs in a person's life when they are born of the Spirit, it lasts for the rest of their life. This is how you know that it was a genuine work. It's not like the soil that the plant sprouts up that has rock underneath. Remember Jesus' illustration? A believer, he believes. He receives the word with joy. But the plant withers and falls away. No, the the seed that brings forth the plant that God intends to bring forth fruit in the end as it matures, it endures throughout life, continues to the end. Now, as we close, I just want to ask, are are you a growing Christian? Am I a growing Christian? Are we are we making progress? in our life, in our understanding of the Word of God. See, what we don't want to become is stationary. No living plant is stationary. It's going to continue to grow and develop and mature. We don't want to be just where we stand still. The Christian needs to be moving in a forward direction making progress, growing, developing. What what are we doing to nurture that spiritual life, 
to promote our own growth as believers? I'm just asking these questions because these are, these are penetrating questions for us to ask ourselves. We don't want to be content with where we are now. Now, I don't think any of you are who are here today. Let's just guard against that. I want to close with a, 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 a great proverb that to me amplifies this. This is Proverbs 4.18. It's something Solomon wrote. I wonder what he had exactly in mind when he wrote this. This seems so inspired, his thought here. Solomon says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter unto a full day. The very next verse talks about the way of the wicked, which leads to darkness. So he's, he's setting up a contrast, as he does in the, in the Proverbs. And many of the pro, most of the Proverbs, they stand by themselves. They're just a nice, pithy statement that we can fix in our mind that will help us and guide us in practical, godly living. That's what that book has as great value to the Christian. But let's just think about this for a moment. The path of the righteous. Now, we did not begin in light, did we? We came out of darkness. And we've been brought into God's marvelous light. This is how... Peter tells us in his letter. But now our path before us is one of light. And he says it's just like the break of day, the path of the Christian. So think of your life as a journey through this world. This is your path, your life journey explained right here. It is like a path of Growing light. And like the sun coming up, rising higher and higher into a full day when it's at its peak of light. This is is the Christian's life explained here for us. That we, we are advancing onward with increasing brightness. So our our spiritual growth, this is another way to look at your spiritual growth. That it should resemble the light of day and how it gets brighter and brighter as the sun rises and our journey in life. So as we are journeying through this world and our light is getting brighter and brighter, I would take that to be our understanding, perhaps, because light is opposed to ignorance in the New Testament. The unbeliever, he's in darkness that 
he's in complete ignorance of God's truth. And he needs light, he needs information, he needs knowledge and understanding. And the Christian's growth in knowledge and understanding is like that light of from dawn to the height of day. Now where does this all terminate? Well, it terminates in eternity. And the eternal state for the Christian is one of light. It's a perfect day. The eternal day, there's no more time. The sun does not shine anymore. We don't need the sun. So there's no time in eternity. It's now the eternal state. This is our full day. In the meantime, we're growing brighter and brighter in light and understanding. Our hope is growing stronger and stronger. As you age as a Christian and you get closer to the end of the race, your hope is going to be burning very, very bright. You're going to be anticipating this full day of eternal daylight in the presence of God. So I think this is, an, this is a marvelous Old Testament expression of the same idea of progress in the Christian life in the spiritual life that God has initiated in us. He continues it, he carries it on, and will bring it to a consummation. He's going to do that for us. At the same time, you need to be working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we need to do our part. It's our responsibility to work. We're saved apart from works, but you can't be saved without works. Hmm. Think of that. Not that works save you, but there is a side to what we need to be doing as Christians. There's a human responsibility. Faith without works is dead, James tells us. Faith and works go together. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.